Hello, hello, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. This is My Dad Knows Everything, where I get to sit down with my dad and talk to him about anything I choose. He doesn't really have a choice. Um, today, uh, the subject was going to be electricity, and we were going to talk about um, the origins of electricity, what's in our walls, um, what was it like being an electrician, who is Elon Musk? Um, just kidding. I know who Elon Musk is. Um, but the conversation actually took a really interesting turn and we ended up delving into all kinds of energy and not just electricity. So I'm really excited for you to hear everything that he had to say. And without further ado, here's our episode on energy. All right. So we're going to talk about electricity. Okay. Um, the first thing that I want to know is, um, so Benjamin Franklin, right? Yes. Papa electricity. He goes out when he's like 17 or something, right? And flies a kite with a key attached to it, discovers electricity. How does that then segue into there being electricity in our homes and in our walls? Because that's not lightning, Right. So I don't understand the how they met into, into one thing, like how he pieced those things together. Right. So uh, interesting uh, way to frame it and to look at it. I think he was actually much older than 17. You know, Benjamin <laughs> yeah. Franklin was, you know, quite the uh, uh, prolific man. Uh, you know, he dabbled in politics. He dabbled in science. He uh, was a, a ladies man, as we're yeah. kind of beginning to learn and. Uh, so he had a lot of different interests and a lot of different things that, that he did. My understanding of the key experiment, and I'm not an expert on Benjamin Franklin, was that he was trying to prove uh, that lightning was, uh, that it was made of electricity or that it was electricity. Because there's always that discovery that happens and then they start piecing things together and understanding it. You right. know, some of the first uh, experiments in electricity were with static electricity and they would rub silk on like a, a carbon rod and you could like move filings around and you know mm. so some of the very early stuff was around static electricity and then uh the next sort of discoveries were done with magnets and then it was another person who discovered that electricity and magnetism were related and so then you started to get you know can we generate a current with magnets and with wires and if you go to uh, motors and then the opposite of motors, which are generators, they all have to do with wire windings and magnets and different things like that to produce electricity or um, to, you know, in the case of a motor, to take electricity and turn it into a spinning force. So if you look at uh, like turbines in the Hoover Dam, or if you look at wind turbines, or even if you look at coal electric plants they're being you know they're heating the coal and burning it to heat water into steam and then the steam passes through a, a steam turbine it's all done to spin a generator and that generator has the magnets in it and the wire coils which then produces the electricity so with those things like you know wind turbines and steam generators is there a way to um like keep that electricity for later, like store it for later? Or do you, does it always need to be turning and going? Like, I don't understand how you can save electricity for later. Right. And so that is a great uh, question because it's a modern or it's a, it's a current problem, right? Because when we talk about things like renewable energy, when we talk about solar, when we talk about uh, wind, uh, we, you know, the wind doesn't always blow. Right. Uh, the sun doesn't always shine on the solar panel. So how, in your point, you know, we, uh, in fact, some of our biggest power consumption is at night because we're turning the lights on and, you know, right. we're, you know, we're using electricity when we're not going to get it from the sun uh, at that time. So, so now you get into battery technology or, you know, other things that they're, they're trying to convert the electricity into like a charge something yeah that they can then store and then use later so in the case of a battery you are putting it into a charge whether that's a you know lithium ion battery or uh you know the old lead acid batteries the the process of charging a battery is the reverse of pulling the uh, electricity out 
The problem is, is that anytime you convert energy from one form to another, there's always loss. Usually that loss is in the form of heat. Uh, but when that happens, then you, you know, it's not as efficient. So, so the challenge is, how do I get all of the electricity back out that I put into it? Because you can never get all of it back out. Is that loss happening because it takes energy to transfer? Yes. Yes. So, and, the, and you do have that. And it's usually seen in heat, right? So when you charge a battery, it heats up. And, uh, and so you're like, oh, well, I, you know, I can feel it's warm. Well, that's actually energy being lost. The fact that it heats up at all oh. is it, that's what you're experiencing. That's a loss of power when you're charging a battery. So that's, mm. you know, it takes more power to charge it than you're ever going to get back out of it. Right. So there's right. always a loss in that. And, and, you know, and you lose it through, uh, you know, the wires heat up, the connectors heat up. You know, there's always a loss. And, and you get that in, uh, you know, when you send electricity along long distances, there's a there's a loss as well. Uh, and, and, you know, through resistance and right. because you're pushing it through a, a medium right you know metal or copper whatever i remember hearing that um like this was when i was in in middle school or even high school that um the next big fix for something like that was they were going to dig up all the roads and put uh rods or wires or something in the roads and that was somehow gonna solve the problem of like the um you know the the wires that drape between poles what would you what do you call those those are transmission lines yeah typically yeah and um and that they were going to be able to also charge electric cars while they drove on the road Mm -hmm. like through you know the roads were going to be this wireless charging thing like do you remember hearing about that you know i've read a couple of articles on it i don't know that i can speak intelligently to it but you can imagine that if you had uh you know something in the road uh, you know, and, and then you had a vehicle that was moving over it, then you could produce something similar like a, a spinning motor with wires and magnets, right? So like, let's say that you Oh, attach... is that how wireless charging works? Is it magnets? <sighs> you know, I don't Like for know... a phone, even, yeah, for, with, you know? Like, like that, now you're starting to get to the edge of like what I, what I don't <laughs> know, right? Yeah. Like, like, you know, that technology, when you talk about wirelessly charging a phone or, or, or something like that, it's... It's definitely done through electromagnetism. You know, is it is it magnets? You know, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, yeah. I, I, I can't, like I said, I can't speak intelligently to it right. other than like the basics of how you generate electricity is, you know, typically spinning magnets in a coil of wire. But if you can imagine like a, a bunch of cars on the freeway driving over wires and then, you know, maybe magnets on the bottom of the cars, you know, you could you know, generate a, an electric field or, or something right. like that. And I, and, and I don't know if that's what the articles were talking about I or if I'm right totally now. off base. But, you know, anytime you have movement of one past the other, you could den- definitely, you know, generate a field. And, and maybe that's what they're talking about. You know, I've even heard them talking about, you know, setting up uh, uh, like uh, propellers on the sides of the, of the freeway because as, as all the cars go by, they're dragging all this wind behind them, oh. right? So you can actually generate some electricity, you know, just in the wind that, that that's being produced by a bunch of cars going by. And, you know, maybe that's part of what they're talking about as well. So there, there's a lot of different um, theories. There's a lot of different uh, practical experiments going on. They have, uh, you know, in parts of Europe and other uh, places by the ocean, they have things that will generate electricity when the tide goes out. Uh, and then generates electricity when the tide comes That's in. That's insane. Right? Because it's just yeah. moving. The, you know, the water's moving anyway, right? So as the mo- right. water moves out, it goes one way past the turbines. And then when the water comes in the other way, it moves past the turbines. And and so you have this uh, transfer of uh, the, the, the power of the ocean to then generate electricity and use it. Uh, but of course, there's that times where the tide's not moving. So again, you get to this, well, how do I store the energy that I collected to right. use during those times. They've also done things where they've built in um, areas where there are waves in the ocean, which is most shorelines. And they have these little uh, pods. They look like mini submarines and they, they're connected by 
a string of cables that keep them separated. And then there's, I don't know if there's things inside that move back and forth, but as they ride the waves, they're able to generate electricity as well. Wow. And so there's lots of different groups that are trying to tackle yeah. that sort of problem. How do we generate electricity from things that are readily available to us, but we yeah. just haven't thought about before? Is there some kind of gravitational energy that could be harnessed? Or because I know that, I mean, like, the, for example, when I learned that the moon is what causes the tides mm. and the pull of that, mm -hmm. that blew my mind. Right. And that's a force and it's a gravitational pull, right? Mm -hmm. So it makes me think that maybe there's some way that, you know, that could be harnessed. Yeah. So harnessing the tides is probably the, the most direct way okay. that you could harvest the gravity, uh, gravitational forces of the earth and the moon yeah. to, to generate uh, any kind of power. What about um, the magnets and the poles, like how that makes a compass work? Mm -hmm. uh, could that energy, like whatever makes a compass move, could that be harnessed? Well, yes, in the sense that what causes the magnetic poles is the rotation of the molten core of the earth, right? right? And so the closest thing to that would be like geothermal um, electrical plants. And uh, there's actually one, if not more, in Nevada where there's uh, parts where you have, uh, you've, you've seen your, uh, Yellowstone where they have geysers and they have right. hot springs and things like that. And, and so when you can, when you can access a, a heat source from lower in the earth, you can use that heat source to then generate electricity as well. Like, could we use volcanoes as, you know, geothermal batteries? Certainly proximity to volcanoes, probably not volcanoes themselves. Right. Just because they're, uh, I think, a little more volatile. But any, What about any... underwater volcanoes? Or maybe are those maybe a little less volatile, but still... Um, Good question. I, mean, no, I don't getting know. getting into theorizing. No, no. I mean, it, it's great to think about because these are the kinds of ideas that are out of the box that then people yeah. and scientists can then go, huh, what would that look like, right? I, I think when yeah. you look at like underwater volcanoes, probably the best example are, are the Hawaiian Islands. Right. Right, because you've got that chain of islands where as the plates move, the, the spot that's spewing lava changes and you know, is creating more, you know, land mass underneath. Not being a volcanologist or, right. a, you know, engineer to build something like that, I can speculate that one of the challenges would be that it's coming out of the ocean floor at a temperature that's too hot, yeah. or it could be creating land mass so quickly that whatever you built would have to be able to move to like stay in the sweet spot to gather that right. heat or whatever. So, you know, it, it's a good question. I, I don't know the answer. Well, to I got one more crazy question that I thought of is why aren't we harnessing hurricanes and earthquakes? Because I mean that like, well, if you know, let's talk about earthquakes. That's creating massive seismic energy, right? which has got to go somewhere. How come, you know, I mean, maybe people are trying to harness that. I don't yeah, know. So uh, the earthquakes, for one, are really difficult because you can't predict when they'll happen. And then... I thought they could a little bit. They can a little bit. But right? like it's like a 10-minute, okay, we know right. earthquakes going to come but, in 10 but, minutes. But imagine what it would take to harness the power of an earthquake, right? You'd have to have some kind of like massive building with weights or something on like a Teflon surface so that as it shifts under the earthquake those weights are somehow think, generating haven't electricity they already or, made those? or something like that but not to generate electricity but they've made like a shifter you know i think i've seen um uh, like prototypes where they're like with really big buildings we need to, in, in earthquake um likely zones right you know where it's kind of like they're on a moving yeah so table. That's, that's called base isolation and so what it is is that every uh, point of the building that is resting on the ground actually comes to sort of a, a structural point that then rests on a uh, like a plastic puck 
or something that is able to, to shift and the building can slide around on those surfaces. And then on the outside of the building, normally where the grass or the concrete would come all the way up to the building, there's this really uh, relatively thin metal cover that goes over sort of a gap between where the ground is and where the building right. is. So it's called a crumple zone. And then the building can slide in and out of there. So let, let's take that for example. You know, then how would that generate electricity? You'd have to have sensors or something on the bottom of you know all these points to try to generate electricity. But it would be for such a short period of time. Like most, but wouldn't it be a massive amount of energy though? Not that you, even for because, a short amount of time. Yes, it's massive in a large surface area, but not in like the surface area of a building, right? You you would, uh, uh, you know, if, it, you, okay, you know, if you're comparing it to, you know, nuclear power or you know the it's power so that's in, small, yeah, it's very like, small. You know, it's a short yeah. period of time that you'd be able to harvest it. That it just it wouldn't be like sustainable, yeah. right? And and then what happens? Now you're hoping for the next earthquake because the <laughs> right. batteries are running down. Like it just like yeah. like yes, you could do it. The problem with a lot of these ideas are, what can you do that's cost effective? And yeah. that's one of the reasons that we've had a hard time getting away from coal or from gasoline is that it's cheap. It's, it, it packs a tremendous yeah. amount of energy in a power source that is easy to, relatively easy and cheap to extract from the earth. It's relatively easy to refine, if at all, like in the case of coal, I don't think they refine it much, and then, and then turn it into usable energy, whether that's gasoline for a car, right. or jet fuel, or whether it's you know just burning coal in a power plant yeah. to turn it into electricity, it's cheap and it's plentiful. You can find it everywhere on the planet for the most part, and it and so it caused the economy to boom around this abundance of electricity with this catastrophic right. result. And so now they're like, well, how can we do this cleaner? Well, unfortunately, to do it cleaner there was a long like, road who's to gonna, get there. Who's going to fork over the money? And, right. and you know, all the coal and gas companies are like, uh, right. And so you what know. you, what you need is you need the government to step in and offer subsidies to drive the price down in the short term so that the technology can get good enough and, right. and widespread enough to bring the cost down on its own. So it's sort of like this artificial, um, cost stabilization, which is why you could buy, a Tesla or an electric car and get like these huge federal rebates because they were trying to drive the innovation and drive uh -huh. the technology so that it would be cheaper than or equivalent to fossil fuel right. to provide an vehicles. incentive to, to switch over to an electric car. That's exactly car, right. So. That's exactly right. But you, but what is countered with that is that you have these lobbyist groups that are being paid by the coal and the fossil fuel industry to go and throw campaign dollars and other things at politicians to get rid of these subsidies because they're claiming unfair competition or whatever. Right. Or, and so I mean they've so been on top for thing. years, but it's you know, you get comfortable. Not only yes. Up there. Yeah. And so not only does that happen, but politicians need money for reelection and, and things like that. Yeah. And the and lobbyists in Washington DC will use that to their advantage to push right. their agendas and and so what so then what happens and you know and the lobbyists will spread you know false information about global warming and so you know then so then everything becomes politicized right so you know you sort of start at this point of hey look at all of these amazing ways that we can produce power a lot of them are uh you know free in the fact that there are the readily uh, available natural nature uh, phenomenon yeah. that are happening that we could harness to do that but then it it's this much bigger problem right mm -hmm. like is it feasible is the technology there and then is there willingness to subsidize it to make it cheap enough to become established and then widespread and used and, and things like that and so if you look at other countries for example in France they turned to nuclear and and got rid of all of their other power plants and went 100% uh, nuclear and the and the power is cheap and they export their power 
to uh, to other countries. Other countries pay France for you know, or or France power companies for uh, power. So their power lines go all the way to those countries, or are they shipping nuclear material? Yeah, no, it. Yeah, no, no, they're definitely not shipping. I'm like, <laughs> no, they do have. Because they're, it, it would be like us selling power to like Canada or Mexico, yeah, right? Yeah, because I forget so like that they're a lot lines. smaller yes. and closer together. Right. Okay. And that brings me to a point I wanted to talk about, which is Yucca Mountain. Uh-huh. Um, I, you know, don't know a whole lot, but I know that it it was like, a, it's a shut down nuclear plant. Like, wh- weren't they going to make it a nuclear plant? And then people got scared were fed maybe false information, and it got shot down, right? Yeah, so it was never a, uh, a nuclear plant. Or it was, it was going to, to be. No, it was going to oh. be a nuclear storage facility oh, okay. for spent uh, nuclear waste. So everywhere Which, in the United States... Can we talk about States, first, what is nuclear power? Because I, I don't even really know. All I imagine is like from The Simpsons, it's glowy, like <laughs> green stuff. That's all I know. Right. So full disclaimer, I'm not a nuclear physicist. I don't, uh, you know, I may describe this incorrectly. However, uh, when you have enough nuclear material together, uh, it will start to react. And if you get enough, if you get enough together, it will go critical. And when it goes critical, what you have is an explosive release of energy which is what you had with the first uh, atomic bombs. So the the first bomb uh, that was dropped on uh, Hiroshima was um, uh, uranium-235. And once you had enough of that material together, uh, it caused a spontaneous chain reaction. And is that where we get the stories of Godzilla? Like those were from the citizens being scared about all the reactions of so right i know so, <laughs> like okay, so, broken uh, information right, but... exactly so uh godzilla of course uh you know came those stories and that lore came out of the nuclear age one of the things that the u.s did after world war ii oh it was is nuclear testing they did right nuclear out, testing out in, the, in the pacific yeah uh out of the bikini atoll and uh you know and near the marshall islands and and stuff like that and so then of course you know the the you know, the Godzilla lore, as I understand it, is that, you know, he was affected by those tests and, you know, rose up out of the sea to terrorize Tokyo and and all that kind of stuff. Um, But the point is that, you know, the first one was uranium-235 and they had uh, two deposits of it inside the bomb. And then the trigger was that these two pieces came together. And when they came together, it caused a, a, a critical reaction and an explosion. Kind of like Mentos and Coke? Yes, I think that's okay. a, a fairly good visual for the listeners. Okay. If you take those, so if if you have uranium two thirty five, and disclaimer, I don't know what current nuclear power plants run on, but in the case of uranium two thirty five, if you get it close enough together, before it reaches critical, it will start to to heat up. And it will start to... So it's thermal energy. That's what nuclear energy is. Yes. Okay. So nuclear plants are... You have a, a, a reactor core that that is heated through the, the, the nuclear process. And there are carbon control rods that can be uh, put into the reactor core. So imagine it like a brick with holes in it. And then they, they, they put these carbon rods in the in the holes... And when they put the carbon rods in the holes, then it effectively sort of separates this uh, this material and it's not able to react um, a- a- as much as it was. So they can slow down the reaction, they can stop the reaction, or uh, they can let it, let it react at a very, very high level. Okay. And then what they can do is there's a closed water loop of, uh, of water that goes through there. It heats that water it turns into steam. That steam turns a, a turbine and those turbines are what generate the electricity. So a a nuclear power plant so converts like, heat okay. into steam. So it, it, you know, it's steam that turns the, the generators and does it. The difference, and, and that's how coal power plants work too. The difference is in a coal plant, you're burning coal 
you've got a, a combustion, which is producing exhaust yeah. and all of that kind of stuff pollution. into the atmosphere, pollution in the atmosphere. Whereas in a nuclear plant, you're using the nuclear reaction to heat the reactor core and then the water is it's being turned into steam instead of and that's a, and that's a closed and... loop and everything so the the reactor core over a period of you know years and years and years and years and years um will become less reactive right it's do we a, know why well sure because you're you're it, you know like you can't produce energy from nothing right so we you know we talked about the the loss generated by heat well if you're producing heat like that it's it's lost right so that so okay. so that the the way that a nuclear reaction works is if if you remember your chemistry class in high school vaguely you've got all of the elements on the periodic right. table well at the very bottom are the ones that have a lot of right uranium's down there i think right yeah, yeah. it's a very heavy element yeah. it has a lot of uh, protons a lot of neutrons and so then as it decays, you've heard of nuclear decay, right. it actually changes into a another different... element. <gasps> I it, didn't know that. Yeah, so it, oh. and it, it, and that's why it's called nuclear decay. Oh, wait a minute. Isn't that why with H, H2O, right, it's helium and two, no, it's not helium, it's high, hydrogen, hydrogen and, and two oxygen, oxygen right? Mm-hmm. And that's why when it heats up and becomes steam, it's separating the elements and changing into something else, right? So you're almost right. It so steam is still water. What, <laughs> That's what, right. What you're thinking okay. of is electrolysis. So if you put a positive and a negative uh, electrode into water, and we did this experiment in high school, so we we had them pointed up and we had test tubes over each of them, and when you pass the current through it, the hydrogen would go into one test tube and the oxygen would go into the other oh, test tube. Separate. And you would separate them. Oh, that's yeah. crazy. Okay. So that's a that's a little bit different, but it's the yeah. same kind of principle, okay. right? So yeah. so in that example, in electrolysis, you're you're decaying water into its base elements, into hydrogen and oxygen. With nuclear decay, what happens is the element will decay into one or more elements, other elements, lighter elements on the periodic table. Okay. And when you've heard of half-life, right, right, yeah. you're like, oh, this thing has a half-life of 40 years. That means if you have a pound of uranium, in 40 years, you'll have a half a pound of uranium, and you'll have whatever the waste components are, whatever the decayed uh, components so are. So when, you know, when we talk about Yucca Mountain and have that being a place that they were going to host uh, nuclear waste... It's not going to be uranium they're hosting. It's going to be whatever it turned into. Correct. So you okay. have so some of the byproducts, some of the the waste uh, that you have at a nuclear power plant is uh, there's radioactive uh, contaminated water. Uh, you know that uh, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll have it sit in like a uh, a pool and then uh, as it evaporates, uh, you know everything that goes into the atmosphere is clean because it's you know it's evaporated but then you know you you get concentrated waste uh in radioactive that pool, right water. yeah so it's like yeah radioactive or, and then okay, of course you know the soil is radioactive you know the the concrete around it you know and, and all of that kind of stuff and then you know there's there's varying degrees but you would also have uh you know if you ever disassembled the the nuclear power plant you'd have the reactor core what was left of it you'd have the the carbon rods uh, you know, everything within that, you know, which might even be, you know, steel structures and, you know, different things, you know, become contaminated and, right. and tainted and, and stuff like that. So the intent of Yucca Mountain was uh, they wanted to store, because today they store all of this nuclear waste at the individual nuclear power plants themselves. So, right. so there is nuclear waste. Throughout the country, it's at all of these different power plants. The intent was they thought, well, maybe we need to have a long-term storage strategy as a nation to keep this somewhere. And and they thought Vegas because who cares what happens over there if it goes wrong. Right. Well, so it wasn't Vegas itself, right, but definitely Nevada. There is no other state in the United States that has more land that's owned by the federal government than Nevada. Is it because of Area 51? 
Well, where, where Area 51 is, is part of what's referred to as, uh, well, it's been referred to as a, as a bunch of different names, but it's the National Defense Testing Range or something like that. It used to be called the Nevada Test Site. Um, you know, Nellis trains over there, you know, over that, uh, Nellis is the Air Force Base. You know, they, they do exercises, you know, over that area. They drop live munitions and do war games and, and all of that kind of stuff. But there's a giant area not far from here where you cannot fly over it. You can't, you know, drive across it. It's federal uh, land. And back in the 50s and 60s, after they stopped testing in the Pacific, they were doing atomic testing there. Mm. Uh, at, at the is test that what, like, when you would see in movies, they have um, a f- fake home set up and it's very, like, 50s. Right. And they would blow it up. Yeah. That That's... was at the Nevada test site. And oh. in fact, people would come to Las Vegas to watch the mushroom clouds from a distance when they when they did the, the tests. Wait, was Nevada always a desert or did it become a desert because of all of the bombs? So that is a good question. Nevada was not always a desert. It was at one time a shallow prehistoric sea, which is why the Nevada state fossil is the Ichthyosaurus, <laughs> which is like a fish. It's like a it's like a prehistoric dolphin, right? Oh my gosh! Oh yeah, but no, it was not because of the uh, the bombs, it's right? Because, because of... it's it's been a desert for thousands of years. <laughs> okay. It's uh, uh, you know, it, it, you know, we we didn't change okay. the state of Nevada <laughs> with the atomic testing. Yes. Okay. There's craters that you can go visit. You can actually oh, like tour he- like the he- test he- site. He- crater? Like is that Like Heebie Crater? No, that one oh, okay. is from a volcanic activity, oh, but it would okay. look like that. Okay. Right, because after they did the above ground testing, uh, they actually. There were some different treaties between the United States and the USSR, uh, but then they, they then started doing uh, detonations underground, and they would take readings and, and do different things like that. Would the ground? How would the ground not collapse in? On were they so deep? That- they were very deep, and so then it would it would kind of like I, I never witnessed one, but I think it would like shift the ground up, and then it would fall down, and so then we create a crater because it you know blew up you right. know underground. That's crazy. Yeah. And now they don't even need to blow them up. They can model it all on the computer. So Sandia National Labs in New Mexico oh. so has just giant saying... supercomputers and they model nuclear detonations. They don't even have to so test like, them anymore. Theoretically, we're doing great and these things definitely work, you right. know. Right. Okay. So how come we haven't figured out how to deradiate things? Because we can demagnetize things, right? Right. I know it's different. It's different, but also kind of in the similar, you know, like you know, energizing things. And, yeah. You know. So there is all of nuclear power is generated from fission, and fission is sort of this breaking down of of nuclear of, of heavy uh, material. The better nuclear fuel and the better you know nuclear reaction is fusion and that's where you take uh small elements like hydrogen and you combine them and you and you bring them together that's what happens in the sun uh if you remember the first uh spider-man with uh you know dr octavius Mm -hmm. and he had the you know the the arms and everything he was trying to create oh. fusion, right? It's like a mini sun. Right, that's right. Yeah. And, and, and it those had a are gravitational the, pull. And those are the challenges, right? Okay. Because it's it's huge amounts of power. You know, how do you contain it? How do you suspend it? It creates so much heat. You know, how do you keep it from like melting through the building, you know, and then into the planet, right? Like, you know, <laughs> oh how do you God. suspend it and, and, and kind of do that? But if we could harness that, uh, there may be ways to repurpose some of the waste from uh, you know the the fission reactors and use them uh, again or you know or find a way to you know so dispose of them. How come we can't just um, get it really close to the sun? Is it just what you mean like the the waste? Yeah, like send the nuclear waste to the sun? No, like get it close to the sun and then the sun like cures it. Right? Like is that what you're saying? out in the desert? Yeah. No, that's no, not but, no, but not, but like, cl- like we put it in an, in an airplane and we get it close up to the <laughs> sun. 
God. Yeah. I, maybe I'm not quite understanding. How yeah, that I works. think you're. I think you're not quite understanding. How, okay, how that works, I'll so. have to listen through this part of you more times. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Well, we went a little bit. I, I'm. I'm realizing now this episode's a bit more about energy. I think that was probably what I should have because I. Yeah, I forgot about thermal energy, turbine energy. Um, which would that be called? Is that just wind energy? Well, so again, a turbine is something that is used to, to oh, capture so that circular motion. it could be turned by motion. water. Right, because it could okay. be, they could be like hydro, turbines. you know, turbines. It could be, uh, you know, wind turbine. It could be, um, you know, that, well, tide would still be hydro, but, you know, anything that's, you know, steam turbine, oh, you know, yeah. anything that's that's being used to turn that turbine and then that turbine can then generate that so electricity. So is there a difference between a windmill and a wind turbine? Well, originally, windmills were used to mill grain. Oh, okay. Right? So that's what so, a windmill okay, wind was used was, for. Was powering the mill. Right. Oh, so if you, okay. If, you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're imagining... Didn't those, it also have a water element? Well, sure. That would have oh, been like a water the, mill, right? So, okay. So, yeah. So in, in those cases, you would capture either the water or the wind... Okay. And on the inside of the building, there was a like a flat stone surface, and then there was a round stone that was attached. You think like a right. Lincoln lo- or a, a Tinker Toy, right? So there's like a shaft that comes down, and then and then it turns, and then that turns a gear, and then that bottom arm rotates and moves around like a clock arm, right? And on the end of that is a wheel. And that wheel would roll over the grain and it would grind it. Right. Right. So, so back in the day, they could only grind the wheat if it was windy. If you wanted, if you didn't want to do it manually, right? Because oh, the early well, yeah, ones, right, they have like stone manual. bowls okay. with like the, you know, and they would. You oh, know, like a mortar and pestle. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You know, they, so, so, you know, it was a, it was a human labor saving you know, device. It's, it's crazy that my brain is, I can't possibly imagine like oh you could do it by hand you know <laughs> right, like right. i'm like well what was the energy thing what was the right you know and like we lose the remote and i'm like well the tv just doesn't work and you're <laughs> exactly. like uh there's buttons on right. the tv you can right. push and in the in the netherlands uh, where which is where you typically think mm-hmm. of windmills uh they were used to drive pumps and they would pump the water out because it was such a low lying mm. uh you know, to, to like just water the fields and stuff or uh, to get no, to the was, villages. No. So if you know anything about the Netherlands and I, I don't want to name cities because I know I'll get them wrong, but they, they actually have reclaimed land from the sea. So they've built these walls, these sea walls. Oh, like dams. Yeah. And the opposite. It, 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 it's like a, di- you're not stopping no, a barricade, river, but like, you're, yeah, okay. you're like keeping the ocean out. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and then they pump out. The water that's oh, on the backside, okay. right, to like make more land for them. Uh, Interesting. So if you, if they lose that uh, that ability to pump, you know, then it starts to you know fill up with water. Right, which so it's get bad. boggy and right. Okay, wow, that's crazy. Okay, well, um, I'm I'm wondering if maybe we should make this episode into two parts because there you know there were other things I wanted to ask about your own personal experience with electricity, but. Mm-hmm. I'm having so much fun just talking about um, energy and stuff. Okay, so um, do you see a future of us having absolutely, you know, no gas use and no, like, fossil fuel use? I mean, I've also heard that people are saying the fossil fuels are going to run out. There's going to be a day where you no longer have a fossil fuel, which I also – what I know about that is that it's – Dinosaur bones and dinosaur flesh. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong? No, that's right. No, it's that's you know, crazy. Yeah, no, it's biomatter that's you know been transformed through you know millions of years of land, uh, you know, pressure forming and, above it and the yeah. pressure and everything like that. Yeah, it's it's biomatter. It's and that's why it's called a fossil, right? Fuel, yeah, right. So like what does it's it look the like? dinosaur. It, well, it's crude oil. It's just like black, Ugh, goop, kind right? of like we we at the. The tar pits, the San yes. Andrea, San Sambrea. What are those it's called? It's the La Brea. La Brea tar, tar pits. pits. Uh-huh. Is that fossil fuel? Tar? Yeah. So it's just spewing out like a tourist attraction. Oh, why yeah. are we, why like, are we saving it? Why when, are we using well, it? Well, uh, California and Texas had 
oil that was so close to the surface, like you would you would come across it, and then they would build like a oil well right. there, like the, like in the fifties, there were oil wells all over California. We watched a movie um about that with a uh, Daniel Day Lewis. Mm-hmm. Do you know which movie I'm talking about? Um, I can see the cover of it, but I yeah, haven't watched it. Yeah, that that was a pretty crazy intense movie, and that was all about like mm-hmm. oil prospecting right. and right, you know. But to answer your question, um, yes, I can see a day where we where we move away from it. What I the the challenge is going to be that um, killing the gas owners so, and making it look like an accident. Well, yeah, <laughs> you've all, so here's the thing that people forget, right? How did everybody get around in the 1800s uh, with horses? Right, and there were horses everywhere. Yeah, right. We still have horses. Yeah. You can still own a horse. It's not illegal to have a horse. You can even ride your horse on the road. So I really just But you can't, you, you know, like, I wouldn't take a horse up, Stephanie, right? Like, I'd be worried it would get spooked. But if you were going in your neighborhood here, like, you could, you know, well, walk it down yeah. the road. You're not likely to see it because we're not zoned for horses anywhere near yeah. here. But if you go over... I no, think really if word gets out about part. this, I feel like people are going to start going by horse. You know, and it, it's a you know, stylish way. To like our Amish country out in Pennsylvania, yeah, you know, you'll see horses and, and buggies and stuff like that. Now, you can't take a horse on the freeway, right? Like, yeah. like, like you would be, it would be cruel and unusual, you know, not only to your horse, but you know, probably somebody would hit what it. What if you had a fleet die, of right? horses? What yeah. if you had like, so, or it's not like you would not, 14. like you can't do that, right? But, um, so I think what you might find is going forward, Ford, not, let's see, GM, Volvo, I don't know about Ford, but I know GM and Volvo have all committed to have all electric cars by like 2035. Oh, so I thought Tesla not, had the monopoly on electric cars. Oh, no. Oh. Oh, yeah, no. That's like, you know, the crazy. Prius is electric. Oh, I just, I thought the Prius was powered by vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> I just because of the way you that people back talk to about, the future yeah. too many times, you know, like Mister Fusion. Uh, yeah, you know, that, thing, you know, that is not the I way the Prius it was like. Yeah, vegetable oil or something. Okay, that's hilarious. No, and 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 a lot of car makers have hybrid cars, and so they're part electric, right. part yeah, you know, gasoline. Uh, but you like like Tesla has patents on the way they do it. Right. But they're not the only ones that can make an electric car. Which... Like, that is not... Tesla has some flaws in the ways that they've been making their cars. They do. Uh, Let me tell you this. I I don't own a Tesla, but I have read enough about what they are doing and everything. Like, they are visionaries. Like, they are... There's no way GM and Volvo and some of these other companies would be putting as aggressive stance on electric cars... If there weren't for Tesla. Oh, okay. Because I think Tesla has shown there's a market, there's a need, the technology's there, you can overcome, you know, some of the problems that you right. have. And drivers are willing to... They were kind of just sitting to, and to waiting that, to see. Because right? I know there was a scary time, like, pretty recently, like 2018 or 2019, where we weren't sure if Tesla was going to make it at all. Mm. Like, do you know what I'm talking oh, about? Yeah. Where they're... Um, they had to get some more investment in. Yeah, and, huh? the, their costs were, you know, they weren't able to make it, you know, cost effective enough for mass market, you know. Um, but apparently things have changed and maybe, I don't know, have the prices gone down? Well, I mean, you talked a little bit about the the federal grants or the, the subsidiaries or... Subsidies, yeah. yeah. So um, I, I don't know, I'm not an expert on Tesla, but they had a very good business plan where they said... We're going to start out with a high-end sports car that's going to be very expensive that is going to appeal to this market. Right. You know, people who have lots of money and want something unique and, you know, right. they don't mind spending, I'm going to make up a number, $130,000 on the car, right? So, like, we're going to, we're going to target that. And then what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, you know, slowly start producing, you know, some of these other ones until they got to, I think it's the the Model 3 or whatever that's like... Yeah less than a suburban, right? It's like, oh, you know, okay. you can like go out and buy okay. one and it's not gonna, you know, cause nobody would go out and buy, well, not nobody, but you know, the, the, the average person, yeah. you know, Jan and like, Joe, yeah, they're not going to go out and buy the first Teslas because it was as much as their house, you know, yeah. they, they, they can't afford something so like, like that. I so, love the environment, but yeah. not so that they, much. They took a very good approach to yeah. that. Now, uh, 
one of the casualties of the 2008 housing crisis when, you know, everybody was, you know, yeah. trying to cut back and corporations did that and they, they cut back on a lot of stuff. Which, how crazy is it that, you know, millennials have now experienced two huge economic travesties right. before they even hit 30. Right. Yeah, we'll never recover. But anyway, let's go. Well, you know, you look at some other generations, they hit like two world wars, you know, in that okay, same period of time. Okay, so it's like, but... well, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll take the economic thing, right? Um, oh, and a pandemic. But so we like two world wars and, and a pandemic. pandemic. You know, we got, and like, World <laughs> War Three keeps getting thrown around, but we don't know who's saying it or what that means. And yeah. yeah. That, that was the scare when I was a kid. But anyway, um, so one of the casualties of the, of the 2008 economic crisis was uh hummer uh gm said we're not gonna make hummers anymore and you know they shuttered that line well they're bringing the hummer back did you know that oh no all electric oh actually i have heard about the electric hummer Mm -hmm. i forgot about that yeah so they're bringing that back all electric now it costs one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, they right? still haven't it's, made it to. You know, to where it's the a luxury is, yeah. item, but GM has also said by, and I think it's twenty thirty five, but whatever it is, there's a date. Like here's the date, all GM cars will be electric, right? Of and, of all level, because like there's like luxury, there's economic, and there's like right. What's the bottom? Right. Or is the bottom one economic? There's like three tiers of cars. Economy, I think is what Economy cars, and then there's luxury. Isn't there, an, or maybe sports is what I'm thinking of. Like, a, okay. Yeah. But, uh, and then what you'll see, you know, I think California, um, I want to say California passed legislation that said they would not allow any new cars to be sold in the state unless they were electric and put a year on that. That's pretty cool. Yes. And so and not fact, saying that you can't have a gas car, but you just You can't buy a new yeah, one. Yeah. Right? That's pretty and cool. And if you and and they're like, oh well I'll just go, you know, buy it in Nevada. It's like, yeah, well good luck registering, registering it. it. Exactly. Yeah. Like that's not gonna happen. Or that's crazy. If it does happen, it's like, okay, well here's the you suck tax and we're yeah. gonna put that on top of you registering I your gas. If they'll car. do something similar to like when they were trying to get people here to switch their grass to rock. Right. They were like, We'll pay you to switch or like we'll give you a certain amount of money to do that switch. I wonder if they'll do that with like, you know, hey, if you turn in your gas guzzling car, uh-huh. we'll give you this amount of money towards your electric car in addition to whatever you can turn in. Yeah, so they, they've actually already done that before. Oh, uh, under that's the cool. Obama administration, they would give back mm-hmm. um I think it was like five thousand or something like that for you know, a car that fit this criteria to buy a new, more economical gas uh, car, you know, or not, not necessarily economical, but a better fuel efficient gas right. car. Yeah. Right. So they, they could certainly do that, you know, to, to yeah. speed adoption. So right? maybe I'll wait. I'll wait until then to get my electric car. Right. Right. So you're like, well, you know, if it, if it comes to that, yeah. right, then it, then it, it makes I'd love sense to, get to do one. it. Right. So, yeah. so definitely I can see a point where, where it comes to that. The challenge that you're going to have is with the um, uh, with airplanes, because the amount of energy that they need to take off, it's unlikely that there's going to be anything to replace fossil fuels in the near future. Oh, right. Wow. So, what? But- what about magnets? <laughs> <laughs> Just get them really, really big, really big magnets. Right. But if you could, if you could replace the, you know, number of cars, uh, you know, with electric cars, you know, and everything like that. That already cuts down a lot. It does, right? And and you could solve it. So probably the the best technology that's out there for that is the technology that's used to like launch rockets into space, right? Oh, right. What do they use? I never even thought about. They, They use liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen. And the byproduct is water. What? Okay, I thought, okay, listen, this is crazy. I thought when I saw that stream of water coming out, that was to prevent fires from the rocket taking off. And that rocket is making that water from its explosion? So what you're thinking of actually is water because there is that fire that's coming out. But it does, the reaction of hydrogen and oxygen combining to make water is explosive. 
So if you take if you take hydrogen gas and oxygen gas and then expose it to a flame, it will create water. Right. Wait a minute. Isn't that, don't they kind of do that a little bit in the Martian? Isn't that how he's able to make that um, like geo area to grow his potatoes? So I only saw the Martian once and I don't remember. Because I remember he was doing something where he had a flame and he Mm. was like, this is either going to blow me up or it's going to make water for, you know. Right. Well, if you, if you combine hydrogen and oxygen, the byproduct is, is water. And, and NASA does that in their, you know, in their So why can't they do that for airplanes? Well, so that would be the Too much thrust? Um, I don't know about that because there's ways to control it. it's not sustainable thrust. Well, I think, I think what you have is, you know, jet... Engines is a proven technology, right? And they know how to use them and they know mm-hmm. how to, you know, manage it and everything like that. So you're talking about a total reddesign of what it would take right. if you replace that with, you know, well, what basically were Wilbur with and Orville doing? Well, those were uh, propeller. Well, the first ones were gliders. Right. And, and then they, you know, put small engines oh, yeah, in it that drove like a propeller, planes, right? Which we had propeller planes for a long time. Oh, yeah. And the propeller, so like jet engines didn't, uh, show up until right after World War II. Okay. And that's when, and and then with the space race, it was accelerated, you know, because there would be money pushed into that R&D for, you know, uh, you know, not only rockets, but also, you know, jets and faster planes and higher planes and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. So if you could create a plane engine based on NASA rocket technology, then yeah, you could probably get away from fossil fuels completely. But until that happens, so and so it could you, cut down travel time, right? Maybe so you have faster. So so if you talk about like where's fossil fuels used, they're used to produce electricity. They're used to, um, uh, in and in, in transportation, right? So those are those are the challenges. How do you replace it in in all of those areas? Okay, yeah, but as we're you know as we just talked about, if they can cut it. From some of the easy things like cars, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff, then, then you know, maybe it's not. It buys us some time, right, to make that next step. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, I think that this is a good place. Um. Oh, I did want to ask about solar panels. Okay. Um. And to kind of tie into like us talking about all kinds of energy, we didn't quite talk about solar. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, just do you want to tell me what you know about solar energy and and how that's harnessed and, and used and so most solar energy is done through um, electrovoltaic solar panels. So the the sun hits the panel and then that you Are you know, saying like UV? It. Is that what UV is? Ultra it's ultraviolet. Well, UV is ultraviolet, right? So you have infrared, you have ultraviolet, and, and what's ultravoltaic. What's that? Uh, electrovoltaic, right? Oh, so like electrovoltaic. The, so the sun hits it, and then it, it converts it directly into uh, electricity. I mean, if you think about your solar calculator, right? You you know you hold your hand over the that little solar cell at the top, and the mm. zero slowly fades into nothing, and then you take your hand off of it, and it you know it comes back to life, right? But inside, like the light in this living room that we're sitting in, is this so like? Could you power something? Solarly, solarly, just from the filtered light that's coming in. Sure, you're, you know, even if, if it's not a direct, solar calculator, it would work on that. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. So what about like in a classroom where there's no windows but there's light from the overhead lights? That's not solar. No, but it is. It, but but a so if you had a solar powered calculator, it's a, it's a little misleading. Okay. But it it would you know, it would function under a fluorescent light. Now when we're okay. talking about creating power for your home. That's not going to work under fluorescent lights. Okay. You know, it, it's going to, you know, you need the power of the sun to, uh, to, to create that. Now, the efficiency of those solar panels is increasing every year. So we had the, you know, one of the leading solar, you know, residential companies come and, and look at our power usage and look at our roof line and everything like that. And they said, well, we could put these solar panels on. And it would generate this much electricity, which I think only covered about half of our usage. And I'm like, nah, I'm going to wait. I think three years later, they came back and it had jumped from half to almost 70%. Wow. With just just waiting two years, 
the technology had moved that much forward. And were you like, I'll wait till it's 100%? That's exactly what I said. I'm <laughs> like, course. I'm not, because it's, of course a, that's what you it's a huge investment. Yeah. You know, you're looking at like, to, to pay it outright was like $20,000. And so you have to think, how many months? Of, how much longer am I living here? And well, how, yeah, 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 so, and, and, and that's exactly right. Because you look at, if I have a $300 power bill, and it's only paying for half of it, then how many months of $150 is it gonna pay off at a time the... is it going to take to pay off a $20,000 investment yeah. in solar panels, right? Yeah. That's a lot of months. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I would rather wait until it gets, you know, even cheaper or, you know, to that point where it makes sense. And, yeah, I don't know, you know, how much longer I'm going to live in that house. Yeah. So. Well, have you heard about what's going down in Texas with the power outages and the yes. snow and stuff? Yes. Um. I heard, and again, you know, I work in very, like, broken information, so I'm hoping you can decipher, you know, from what I'm about to say. But Mm. I heard something about how the electric grid um, that they were on, and also, you know, all of us are on, you know, an electric grid, um, was outdated for, like, a long time. Like, it had passed its, um, like, survival rate of when they were, like, hey, you're going to need to, like, update this by, like, I don't even know, like, 30, 50 years. Like, it, you know, quite a long time. And not only that, but the amount that was projected that um, it, it was going to be functioning at was also, like, quadrupled. Like, there were a lot more people by this projected time using the electricity Right. And it was also way past its years. Right. And so, you know, everything failed down there. Um, but people were saying, like, you know, it was a long time coming and that it should have been, you know, fixed and repaired and whatnot. And um, anyway, just wondering um, if you think or if, if you've heard anything about them, you know, fixing our electric grid, you know, so that something like what happened in Texas doesn't happen. Because I also heard that there's like four um, places, four or five places in the United States that if their electric grids failed, it's they're all connected in such a way that it would wipe out all of the power from coast to coast and it would take um, like an insane amount of time for it to be fixed, to get us back online. And I don't know how much of this is like people being all scared and like, you know, uh, you know, uh, feeding people misinformation, but... You know, how much of what I just told you rings true? So most of it is fear, right? Okay. Um, Texans are their own worst enemies. Um, And I know, you know, people from Texas are going to hate me for saying that. But Texas has this superiority complex where they feel like the rest of the, they, they don't have to obey the rules of the rest of the country. Yeah. And in, and in fact. Well, did they try to leave? Did they try to? What's the thing that like kind of like Macaulay Culkin did to his parents, but like Texas wanted to do it? Yeah, they wanted. Yeah. Yeah. So the 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 history of Texas is is fascinating because it was uh, essentially a country of its own first, and they fought and won their independence sort of from Mexico, and they it was the Republic of Texas, and then through treaty became part of the United States. Oh, so wow. unlike things like the Louisiana Purchase or, you know, uh, buying Alaska from, you know, Russia or, you know, out and out conquest, you know, like yeah. most of the United States, you know, Texas sort of has this special thing and uh, and they like to tout it all the time. They, you know, it's almost like they're a, a better state yeah. than everybody else. Or Is that why they love that flag so much? They the do. The Confederate and flag, even though it's No, like... no, it's the, well, the Texas flag. They don't fly the Confederate flag oh. in Texas. They, oh, okay. they fly the Texas flag. Oh, okay. They're the Lone Star State. It's the one with one mm, star okay. and like the blue triangle and, you know, that, you know, like, oh, you. So Texas wasn't a Confederate state? That I don't know. I'd have to. I okay, have to search okay. up my Civil War history. Right. It's definitely a Southern. Right. State, I kind of group them all like together, a, and I should. Yeah, I don't think yeah. it was a. I would have to look. Yeah. I, I don't know okay. about the Civil War history of Texas, but they're very proud of their state. They're very, you know, central in in, in what they do and everything. And they did not want to be part of the national electric grid. So Texas has their own electric oh, grid. Oh, okay. It's different, you know, and yeah. in fact. Because of that, when they had their problems, 
they couldn't get power from neighboring states. Right. Like they couldn't send like how to France them. can send right. you know their power. Okay. Right. And in fact, they had had a very severe winter almost 10 years ago that did the exact same thing and they said we need to weatherize and upgrade, you know, these facilities here and here and here and here and here, and here so that this doesn't happen again. And then of course, the next winter wasn't so bad, and then yeah. they didn't want to spend money on it, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then 10 years later, yeah. bam, the exact same thing I happens I mean, we again. see that happen, you know, like with the pandemic, right? When it first hit, you know, grocery stores were, you know, being completely wiped out of all their food, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, I guess I really should, like, have an emergency preparedness kit. I should this. And then, like, after a month, people are like, ah, well, you know, I have, right. a, few, I have a few more years until the next one, right. you know? Right. So, uh, you know, as far as like where we live, you know, I, I don't think that would be as much of a concern. Oh, okay. Um, there are definitely single points of failure uh, in the grid that could affect large populations in the country, but I don't think it would cause the kind of chain reaction that you're Not like describing. an EMP. Well, an EMP is different. Right. And that's where we're going to have to call it for today. If you want to know more about EMPs, I suppose you can Google or you can hope that I ask my dad about EMPs in a future episode. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you guys later.